Hey y'all, welcome to another episode of Adventures with Aggie Road to Tokyo. Today we have Kaylee Gilchrist. Kaylee is a dual athlete. She's a gold medalist in water polo and she's going to be competing in surfing in Tokyo in just a few months. This will be the first time that surfing is ever offered in Olympic Games. She shares her story on how she got into athletics and how important this has been in her life and all the things that she's been doing in the last year waiting on Tokyo to happen. So please welcome Kaylee. Kaylee, how are you doing? I'm doing well. It's a little chilly in Southern California, <laughs> which isn't chilly in New York, I'm sure. But yeah, it's <laughs> December morning. Awesome. Well, I'm so glad you're here. Um, I'm really excited to learn some more about your story and your background and all the awesome things you've done. Uh, but just to get started, can you kind of give me some background to maybe what you do and where you're from? Sure. Uh, my name is Kaylee Gilchrist. I'm 28 years old from Newport Beach, California, born and raised. And I am a two-sport athlete in water polo and professional surfing. Awesome. Two-sport athlete just sounds so cool. Like, I love hearing <laughs> that. <laughs> um, great. So let's start with water polo. Um, how did you get into this? I don't know. I hadn't heard of this when I was a little girl. So I'm curious to see how you had gotten into the sport. Yeah, sure. So I was just a tomboy growing up, played every sport imaginable, just wanted to compete with the boys. And in SoCal, water polo is actually a pretty big sport um, in California in general. So one of my buddies played and they told my parents to sign me up and I think at age eight was my first practice. And since then, I've pretty much been hooked. Um, my dad is an Olympic swimmer and swam in two Olympic games. And I tried to swim at a young age and just didn't like it. Didn't like to be coached by him or anything, but I <laughs> slowly but surely got back in the pool and, and found water polo. Awesome. Um, so when did you realize that you wanted to do this professionally? And I know you did it in college as well. Um, so when kind of did you have that? Oh, I really like this. I want to keep going. Yeah, it was kind of interesting. I think uh, I went in waves, you know, waves where I was like, okay, I want to be a professional surfer. I'm done with water polo. And then waves where I was like, no, I want to be an Olympian for water polo. And sure. I remember finding um, this old school project and I was actually training for the Olympic Games in Rio and went back and we were like cleaning out the house in this old school project. <laughs> um, I was in eighth grade. So I think I was 14 years old and basically said that I, I wanted to go to two Olympic games for water polo. So subconsciously I, I set that dream and that goal out for me way back when I was 14 years, years old. And then I think through high school and through my surfing career, I kind of lost that dream. And I think it came full circle. Um, probably my junior year of, of college, I realized like, wow, okay, maybe I have the skills to do this. Like, let's make that goal happen. Yeah, that I, I think I think it did. Yeah, 2016, I think it happened. Um, but can you tell me a little bit about this? Just like the road to Rio and then your experience there? Yeah, I mean, it was a dream come true. You know, I think there's a few few moments that stick out. And I think the first meeting with my coach that said that I was gonna be an Olympian and then calling my family afterwards and just tears of joy was awesome. And then the opening ceremonies, I think that's like when you pinch yourself and realize your goal is finally happening, you know, you know, you right. made your dream come true. And then obviously winning the gold medal uh, is just an indescribable feeling, hugging your teammates, uh, watching the flag raise while you sing your national anthem, and then mm -hmm. hugging your family and friends afterwards. That's something that I'll forever cherish. And I think, to be honest, that's why I'm still playing is to hopefully reach that feeling one more time in Tokyo. Yeah, definitely. I'm so excited. I want to see it happen. But um, <laughs> let's, I, I don't know, I'm kind of curious, like how you transition. I know, like you were surfing and doing water polo at the same time. But when did you start surfing? I know, like, I've never even surfed 
in my life. <laughs> I've never done water polo either. So I think that's so cool that you're so good at both of these sports that I've never touched before. Um, but yeah, when did you start surfing? Um, I started actually like simultaneously at the same time as water polo at age eight. And it was basically for the same reason, you know, my group of friends, I had a great uh, childhood friend group and they yeah. started to pick it up and wanted to surf and it slowly just ended up being on the weekends. So that's what I wanted to do. And the weekend warriors started becoming after school and then slowly but surely before school. And I just progressed kind of the same time as water polo. And I think the recognition really started, you know, my freshman year of high school when, you know, sponsorships came towards me and I was doing well in contests and got uh, invited to the USA surf team and so on and so forth. So I think it just started out as a fun hobby, which turned into a passion, which is now still a passion, but also a career. Yeah. I think that that makes it so much better. It wouldn't like, you're just doing it because you really like it and you're like, oh, I can do something with this and make it professional, um, which is awesome. But can you kind of explain, I know I'm not super familiar with it and I don't know that all of my listeners would be either. um, Just how surfing competitions work, like how, what's the scoring situation? Like Um, I've watched some, I love watching them, but I can't say I understand everything that's going on. Sure. I mean, I think surfing is really unique in the sense that you're in the environment an uncontrollable environment it's yep. hard uh it's not like if you're gymnastics or diving or swimming you know that's even water polo like maybe the refs come in with some unpredictability but really in surfing it's it's crazy so it's hard to judge and especially hard to judge if you don't understand the sport but right you usually surf with either two or four person heats and the top one or two people advance and the way it's judged is your top two waves on a one to ten point scale so a perfect heat would be 20, uh, 20 points, um, right. a good heats, anything around 15. And then you can usually make it through heats 10, 10 or above. So that's two, two, five, fives is usually a good goal to set out depending on the, um, conditions and they way the way they judge a wave is just, um, kind of difficulty of maneuvers and difficulty sections of the waves. So yeah, that's kind of how it goes. Um, <laughs> It's crazy. There's a world tour. So that's what everyone hopes to get on. And there's usually 10 contests a year. And at the end of the 10 contests, there's a world championship is crowned. Um, But to get on that, it's only 17 women and 34 men. So to qualify for that, you have to do a world qualifying series. And that's just contests around the world. Waves usually aren't as good. And that's what I compete on is the world qualifying series. And then the top five or top 15 for men, top five for girls will eventually make it onto the championship tour the following year. So there's about two tours that you're competing on trying to get to the elite tour, which is what in the World Surf League they call the dream tour because you're just traveling (laughs) around the world surfing amazing waves and they go during the season and you have about a two week waiting period. So you're bound to get some good waves for some contests. Yeah, that's awesome. I want to watch again. I feel like now that I understand some more things, I could maybe understand surfing that I'm seeing on TV a little bit yeah. better. And then um, it gets technical, like there's a priority system. And then sure. so heat strategy gets involved. But as a beginner, just know top two waves count and yep. you want to get a 10. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> cool. Um, so how did the opportunity with USA surfing come about? Like, what was that like? Did they had seen what you had done? They reached out to you. Um, I guess, how did you form that relationship? Yeah, it was actually a, a kind of a funny story. So um, when you're an amateur, you surf in these nationals, classic surfing association, the NSSA um, and the WSA prime. And they're really fun events. There's a season basically like September through May, and there's just little contests up and down your region. So at a young age, I was traveling to San Diego or up to Santa Cruz to surf. 
And then if you qualify for nationals, uh, you get to surf in the nationals event, which is, you know, the most prestigious amateur event um, hosted usually in June. So I was getting some decent results in the NSSA. So I get a phone call and it's Peter Townen, who's a legend of the sport. He's from Australia. And at the time he was the USA surf team head coach. And uh, we don't even have a house phone anymore, but it was a voicemail <laughs> and my mom played it. And she's like, I think you should go down. He invited me to try out uh, in Huntington Beach, just up the road from my house. And I didn't want to, I was kind of shy at the age. I wasn't like, now I'm, I'm way more social, but I was like, you know, I don't want to go out of my comfort zone. And my mom was like, no, go, go. So it was a two day event. Didn't really know what was happening or I didn't think I understood how big it was, which maybe it might've helped me in the long run, but I actually surfed well. He's invited us to the dinner to wrap it up. And, you know, two days later, I was on the USA surf team. A week later, I was flying to Portugal to surf in the ISA World Junior Surfing Games. And so wow. it was just like a whirlwind event. I was 14 years old, placed 19th my first year. And then I went from 19th to a 13th to 9th. My last year, I got top 10 in the world. So um, I'm really fortunate for USA surfing and everything that they've given me and the opportunities that they give me. And I'm still to this day affiliated with them and I'm on the board for, uh, USA surfing. So I get to cheer them on, cheer them on in a, in a different, different way now. Yeah. That's a quick turnaround for a 14 year old on the yeah. Portugal right then. Wow. <laughs> What's happening? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how I would have handled that as a 14 year old, but that's awesome. Um, so have worked out pretty well, um, considering where you are now, but, um, let's kind of transition into Tokyo. So this is the first time that surfing's in the Olympics, correct? Yes. Yeah. So I, why do you think this wasn't added earlier? Um, I honestly didn't know it wasn't in the Olympics, but, um, yeah. yeah why do you think um, this is the year? I don't know. It's pretty crazy. So the head of the ISA, the International Surfing Association, is Fernando Aguera, and he would always have these opening um, ceremonies at the contests that I surfed in the ISA World Juniors, and he always said, you know, one day this will be an Olympic sport, one day, and to be honest, I never really saw it in my, you know, saw that it would happen in my lifetime, maybe, especially not my competitive surfing lifetime, sure. and I just think there was such a divide in um, extreme sports so to call than the classic sports that I don't think anyone saw or had the vision he had um, to happen so quickly, but the Olympics are expanding. Surfing is such a well-known sport. Um, and I think it just worked out. And the fact that Tokyo's committee is giving surfing a shot and actually just last month um, they've been accepted for 2024 in Paris, they're going to surf actually in Tahiti in Chopu, a famous wave. So wow. the fact that they're going to be in at least two Olympic games, it's, it's huge for the sport. And I'm really excited to watch. And I think it's just going to bring a, um, instead of just our, the small fan base of surfing, I think it's going to bring it, just expand the sport uh, to many more fans. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. I'm not quite sure it, why it took so long, but glad that it's yeah. here now. Yeah, definitely. I think when I was reading about this before talking with you, I, I was thinking probably it was the matter of location I guess like when you think of Paris like where do you surf in Paris you know yeah <laughs> that's not really an option but that's cool to see that it'll be somewhere else um yeah but yeah that's so cool um cool well how I'm curious about like this past year that you've had um everybody's had right kind of just sitting yeah. on hold um so how have you used this last year to prep uh and get ready for Tokyo 2021 yeah I think I mean if you look at a timeline with my personal story, I think my year even started sooner in uh, July of 2019. 
uh, we won world champs down in uh, South Korea, Guangzhou, um, awesome win versus Spain, who's a huge rival of ours. And we went out to celebrate And the last night of big events is always so fun. You get to go blow off steam. You get to go hang out with, you know, a lot of other national team members are college teammates or professional teammates. So you're all friends. The community is really tight knit. So we were celebrating about to fly home and I was on top of a balcony and it collapsed and I got really badly injured to my lower left leg. Um, it was just craziness was happening how to get, you know, carried out, ambulance came, went into surgery in a, in a foreign country and woke up. And I just kind of didn't really know what happened, but the doctors, I remember saying right when I woke up that I was millimeters away from my nerve, which is essentially millimeters away from not having a functioning foot again. So when I heard that a full recovery was possible, my mind just shifted. and was like, okay, it's on, like, what can we do to make Tokyo at the time, 2020, like I had less than a year to recover. So my recovery process was just insane. My hours I was putting in were, you know, 5am to to 6pm every day. And I think when the Olympics got postponed, you know, I was able to compete in some tournaments and start playing with the team again. And I was back probably for about three or four months before the Olympics were postponed in March. But I think looking back at it now, I didn't even know how burnt out I was until that postponement happened. And until I got to take some time to reflect and some time to just uh, decompress. And I was just so burnt out from the hours putting in and the grind that that comes with uh, trying to win a gold medal that hindsight may be the best thing for me with this postponement. I was also dealing with some mental uh, and psychological trauma from the event that I pushed away because I was so focused on the physical that this time got, uh, allowed me to seek help and talk to therapists and dive deeper into the trauma from that night. So, um, I'm, I'm actually really fortunate. Uh, I know a lot of people have different, different opinions or views or times that have happened during this crazy year, but, um, I'm looking forward to kind of, I'm really excited for that reset that I had and looking forward to, uh, push for the next, you know, six or seven months and hopefully be down in Tokyo. Yeah, definitely. I think this past year, if anything, people have just noticed that they they needed that mental break. Um, and it's great that you got the physical recovery and the mental recovery. Um, yeah, despite the current circumstances and all the craziness that's going on. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so how how has training been going for you? Like, I don't know. I, I don't know if like surfing shuts down with COVID. I don't think so. Um, but yeah, I've heard lots of crazy stories about athletes training and like, lifting microwaves instead of weights and (laughs) (laughs) no I think I think surfing was like my biggest outlook during everything you know when we went to the harsh lockdowns in March and we we stopped as a team I think like March 20th um I got to surf every day I know some places closed beaches and didn't allow surfing but unfortunately uh Newport did so I was surfing every single day um got pretty creative made like a little home gym in the early days of quarantine but we actually started back up as a team June 1st and our summer program was really mellow once a day, non-contact getting tested often, just kind of to get back into the swing of things, just swimming, right. um, seeing each other was more of a connection piece really than any training piece, but we did about an eight week segment, really mellow. And then we started back up in September after labor day and just kind of started slowly turning the notch a little bit. Um, still it's a non-contact test day is one practice a day. <laughs> get our results back hopefully that afternoon. So the following day we can do a double day lift and, and play some water polo and then goes back to a non-contact testing day and so on and so forth. And I think what we've learned as a team um, is just that we have to be adaptable. Like 
we joke as a team TBD to be determined. And that's basically our whole schedule for the next, in the next eight, not eight months or so. But we actually had two weeks off for Christmas. We start back up next Monday and we're going back into our full old school schedule. So double days, six days a week. Um, of course we have to be a little bit or a lot of bit just aware and safe with our protocols, but they've been implemented greatly by our, our trainer and our doctor. So there'll still be some non-contact testing days. We'll test often, but we, we just have to kind of ramp up the, the notch, so to say, and, and get back into the swing of things if we want to be on the top. Right. Definitely. Definitely. I think it's so interesting. I was speaking with a Paralympic swimmer yesterday and I was like, how do you like substitute water sports? You know, like runners, like, okay, like the tracks closed, but like I'll run down the street, but you can't really swim down the street. You know, (laughs) if you don't have your water, like the water that you need for water sports, I guess, how do you like substitute those? Um, It's, It's so hard. And in both sports, I mean, again, right now, surfing isn't the priority water polo is. So surfing's more of an outland for fun, but with water polo, I mean, and and swimming, but you lose that shape so quickly. And it's, that's so tough because it takes so much effort and work to get to a shape, a shape you want to be at. And then within like two weeks, it can be gone. So I think instead of stressing early on in the quarantine days, like I need to find a pool, I need to do this. Like everything was locked down. It was like, okay, maybe find other ways to stay fit. You don't have to worry about swim or water polo shape. Let's just stay fit. And then slowly but surely pool started opening up. I'm fortunate to be um, a member of the Balboa Bay club, which the pool has been open so I can go swim there. But I think it was just letting yourself go for once, which is so hard as athletes in our minds and just knowing that there was time and there will be time to catch up. Um, Now, obviously you can't have that mindset because time is limited within the games. You know, we have to stay in shape and we've slowly done that, but yeah, I think water polo is, is a very unique sport in what it, what it asks of you, you know, not only does it ask swimming shape, but the wrestling that goes involved, the contact that goes involved in underwater that no one really sees is unlike any other sport. Yeah. The, those, the camera angles, like from below the water, that's insane. Like why? I don't know if I could ever do that, (laughs) but it's so cool. I love watching. Um, awesome. Well, I'm going to ask my favorite question that I ask to Olympians, Paralympians. Um, I, I love this question because everybody has such a different answer, but, um, what does like the road to Rio or the road to Tokyo mean to you? Like, to me, it's like, you know, cool ads on TV and like all this fun content and stuff. Cause I'm not training obviously. Um, but yeah, what does, what does the road to wherever you're going mean to you? Um, I think, I mean, it's everything. That's why we do it. You know, what you see behind this or what nobody sees behind the scenes is, is what makes the end result that much better. Um, it's the hard work, it's the grit, it's the camaraderie, the travel, the ups and the downs, the laughs and the cries and, you know, as cliche as it might sound, it's about the journey. So, um, you know, and this journey obviously is going to be one of the craziest, most unique ones. So hopefully um, it'll just bring us closer together and we can play as a team in Tokyo. Yeah, definitely. I think the the team aspect of things is so big, like going into Tokyo, just because people have been separated for so long. And um, even with other athletes that I've been speaking to, like these collegiate athletes and like other levels, it's people really appreciate their teammates during 2020 because they might not have been able to train with them or just be with them in general. Um, but I don't know. I think that'll help a lot. Like having the, and going into Tokyo with all of this camaraderie and like, Oh, we're back together. I don't know. Maybe that'll yeah. help the chemistry and yeah. stuff. 
definitely yeah. I think we gave, uh we did a good job of giving everyone their space they needed because everyone like I said emotions were all over the place with what right. what happened so I think we've done a good job of slowly you know pulling each other in the same direction so January we can you know hit the ground running definitely yeah and then I'm wondering about like national teams um everyone everybody is from everywhere right like you not everybody's based in California where you are is how do you I don't know make that team chemistry and stuff when you're not like super close or not physically close with everybody all the time, despite, I guess, 2020, maybe before that. Um, but yeah. yeah, how do you like stay connected as a team that way? Well, it's, it's definitely a challenge. You know, if you talk about, you know, college, it's rather easy to make that right. team camaraderie. You all chose to go to a certain college and you all have for the most part, the same interests and the same age. So when you go to the national team, when you have somebody that's 17 years old, and then you have someone who's 30 married and ready to have babies, you know, it's so much harder to kind of bring them together. And um, fortunately, water polo is a smaller sport. So everyone's from California. And then we have one from Colorado, one from Florida. So I think that helps a little bit with our background and upbringing. Um, And we all played at the three or four schools so we've played against each other in college and you have these development programs growing up so a lot of people have traveled before with one another but I think it's a little bit more of a challenge with national teams because of what you said just you know the different backgrounds and upbringings and everything like that so um, that's something what we continue to deal with and learn and and we just have to make sure that we do our best to kind of bring that camaraderie but really um, the best and easiest way to do that is through hard work you know hard work and if you see your teammate working hard you know you're going to respect and trust them and then everything else is just you know icing on the cake the travels the fun times you know the the days off and for us we train at Los Alamitos which is in Southern California and for our Olympic year everybody will move toward to Long Beach Seal Beach Los Al area um and we'll train there for the entire year so in that sense it's full-time training we're all live relatively close together so it's again a little bit easier to make that that teamwork right yeah I think that it helps that there's the small community too of uh, water polo players and stuff so that's that's really awesome um cool a little bit of a transition I guess I know you're involved with a bunch of different or I guess out of the pool out of the water kinds of um, initiatives uh, with different foundations and things so can you just kind of share some of the projects that you've been working on Yeah, sure. So um, just doing an ambassador for the young and brave, which is about pediatric cancer. Um, I actually reached out to somebody who was in the surf community, Matt Coulter, who uh, used to run it. And I was like, you know what, I want to get involved. Like, how can I help? And we just got creative in ways. And I just try to tag on to my travels, maybe a hospital visit here or there. So we always go to New York every year for um, the New York Athletic Club. So I grabbed a couple teammates and I was like, Hey, Matt set, set up this hospital visit. You guys want to come. And so we went to a hospital visit, brought our medals and chatted with, you know, little kids. And there's a, there's a couple people I still stay in contact with. So it's just been really fun and just doing whatever we can in our, you know, small little community to, to help and inspire. And then the next thing is, uh, this one of the teammates that actually came to the hospital visit, Cammie Craig and I started camps for champs. And it's just a fun little project, you know, after Rio, we knew we loved the teamwork we had and we had a great connection in the water and we had a lot of fun. And we both at the time thought we were going to be done with water polo. She, she retired, but I actually came back and we're like, how can we continue to uh, share the sport that we love and continue our, our teamwork. And we're like, let's do camps for champs. So the idea behind camps for champs, it's obviously water polo camps. And we teach, you know, drills and skills that the national team uses 
But what's unique to ours is that we do a lot of outside classroom work and um, a lot of empowerment and confidence building. And we got some tools and, and fun things that we do to the girls. And it, it's so fulfilling at the end of the weekend. And you just see these girls with working them with them for two days and just the confidence that they've had at the end of the end of the sessions. And obviously we haven't been able to do one. Gosh, it's been about a year, but we're looking forward to hopefully start that back up pretty soon. That's awesome. I want to learn. Can I come to your, yeah. your camp? Yeah, we'll, we'll let you, we'll go to Alabama and do one. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> we need it. We need it. I don't even know that that exists here. Um, that's so cool. I know you're doing lots of fun stuff. I've seen the pictures and the videos and stuff from those kids faces as well that you're visiting. And it's so fun to see how excited they are and how happy um, they are when y'all come and visit. But um, cool. So just last few questions. Um, you've done a lot in your career already. And um, what are your long term goals? You've got your gold medal. Um, yeah, what's next for you? What are you looking forward to? Yeah, I think I'm having this realization, you know, I'm a little older in the water polo world. So um want to win gold in Tokyo, make the team win gold, and then end my water polo career on a high. And, um, and then I would love to give one more shot at professional surfing and just see how far I can take it with just focusing on that. You know, there's always been balance and water polo has right. always had kind of the upper hand for many reasons, but mainly the team aspect. So I want to give surfing one more shot and continue to build and develop camp for champs. And then you know, in a perfect world, you know, have a family and be able to live in uh, Newport for the rest of my life. <laughs> awesome. Newport's so much fun. I've been once. It's beautiful. I would live there too, if I could, <laughs> but awesome. Well, I'm excited to watch you in Tokyo. Um, well, last thing, last question. I always end my shows on advice. Um, so what is one piece of advice you would give to your younger self? Maybe like as you're starting your career with water polo and surfing and things, um, yeah, I, I probably should have told you this one before because people, like, I don't know, but um, yeah, um, take a second if you want. I think, I mean, this may seem cliche with how everything's gone, but after my injury and then especially with this year, I think the most important thing that I've learned is just to be present and to just enjoy the little things. And I think that's something that we've all been taught this year, which is great. And just to continue that um, awareness moving forward. And, you know, if it was a little kid, uh, I was all over the place. It was like, surf surf in the morning go to water polo practice rush to surfing it again go to water polo practice like my schedule is insane and just every once in a while take a breath and make sure you're in the present uh you know essentially living the dream definitely yeah that's great advice i think younger kaylee would appreciate it um, <laughs> awesome well this was great i know i learned so much about both water polo your career surfing and everything um but thank you so much for speaking with me thank you i wish you the best of luck thanks Kaylee has such an awesome story, and I'm so excited that she was able to share it with us on Adventures with Aggie Road to Tokyo. Next, we have our last episode of Road to Tokyo series. We have Jamal Hill. Jamal is a para swimmer, and he's competing in Tokyo in just a few months, so I'm super excited to share his story. He's also done some really cool things out of the pool with a foundation and teaching kids how to swim. So stay tuned for our last episode of Adventures with Aggie Road to Tokyo coming next Monday.